The reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 20, reading verses 13 to 27. I invite your reverent attention and hearing of God's word here from Acts chapter 20. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had so arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he had met us at Asus, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the next day we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. With a rare exception, generational continuity is is a non-issue in matters pertaining to eternity. We just simply... Don't think in terms of generations. Uh, Most people I know are fixated on the present. Uh, Don't give thought to 50 years from now. But of course, uh, our our Savior is different because he's uh, purchasing his church uh, that will live and breathe uh, throughout the generations. And... uh, Churches, of course, uh, that have been purchased uh, by the blood of Christ will exist throughout the generations. Uh, but it, there is uh, there is the challenge, uh, as an individual body of believers, uh, are we sustaining the continuity in terms of truth and life uh, to our Savior and to the apostles? Uh, we don't really need a plan to do that. God has given us one in the Scriptures. Uh, but that generational continuity is uh, very, very significant, not just for the uh, life of the church, but for church families. Uh, and uh, our text really is something of a benchmark as to how to secure generational continuity, not just in families, but in the life of the church. Uh, our text this morning is part one of uh, Paul's farewell address to the elders of the church at Ephesus. So even even in that, we see Paul attempting to secure the elders of the church. Uh, And one of the things we'll learn from this text is that the right qualifications are essential to continuity in our faith, and this uh, continuity is essential. It's radically essential uh, to secure the future of the church in eternity. 
you stumble here, uh, really eternity is going to come into doubt. That's how significant generational continuity is. I mean, can we trace our theology to our Savior, to the apostles? Or do we even care? <laughs> I think most people have no concern about theology, can barely spell it, uh, don't have a clue if they're connected to the Protestant Reformation, uh, don't care what happened in the 16th and 17th century. Uh, we, we're fixated on the present. We live in the present. Uh, that's just simply American theology. Uh, but as a church, we should think differently. We should think generationally uh, in terms of uh, passing uh, the truth. Uh, the setting in verses 13 to 18 is the apostolic company's departure from Troas and their arrival in Miletus, where Paul will uh, summon uh, the Ephesian elders. And we know from the language of the text that he's essentially passing a baton to them to secure their future, and really to give them a benchmark as to secure the uh, continuity uh, of the life of the church. Uh, because um, it's essential to secure the continuity of the church uh, in, in all of eternity. Uh, and that continuity in our text this morning is, is, is secured by a plurality of elders. Uh, as you know, quick, quick review, um, elders are tasked with the spiritual life of the church. In particular, to secure the doctrinal succession of Christ and the apostles. Doctrinal succession of Christ and the apostles. Roman Catholic Church believes in apostolic succession. Uh, I believe in doctrinal succession. Uh, in our text, uh, uh, the word elder, if you look at uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and called him the elders of the church, uh, is synonymous in my understanding of the Greek text with the word overseer. If you look at our context, verse 8, uh, be on guard for yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The word oversee uh, uh, can also be translated bishop. I think the, the word uh, elder and overseers are really synonymous. In my mind, the elder is the office. Uh, the bishop is the function of the office. They oversee the spiritual life of the church. Uh, they're used interchangeably. If you want to look at another text, uh, turn to the book of uh, Titus. Uh, Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 5. For this reason, Paul is writing Titus. By the way, Titus is going to succeed the apostle generationally. Uh, Paul is passing a baton to him. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order that which remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. If you skip down to verse 7, for the overseer, again the word is bishop, but I think it's a contextual proof that uh, the word elder and bishop or overseer are synonymous. Pardon me. Uh, for the overseer must be above reproach. Uh, Paul lists the qualifications for the elder uh, in Titus chapter 1. He does the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's how important the elders are for doctrinal succession in the life of the church. Uh, as a quick aside, it's radically important for proper succession. And it really speaks to the form of church government. Um, there are three basic forms of church government. I hope I don't lose any of you here. <laughs> there's a plurality of elders. Then there's a bishopric form of government. Um, Roman Catholic Church, Methodist Church, or again, bishops are the, bishops are really the elders. 
Uh, and then there's a congregational form of government where uh, the congregation governs itself. Um, always smile at that one, but we, we're committed here at Grace Bible Church to a plurality of elders. Uh, and we understand from the scriptures that God has given to us the baton uh, with a specific responsibility, radical responsibility of doctrinal succession. We ought to be able to trace our roots to the Protestant Reformation. From the Reformation to the first century, to Christ himself, to the prophets, the Old Testament. Doctrinal succession. Again, I remind you of a great tragedy in the American church. We do not think in those terms. By and large, we think in singularity of how can we keep our young people you know, maybe music will do it. Well, I'm going to tell you, you want to reach your young people, you do it with truth and theology. You infect them with the greatest of all diseases. Doctrinal succession of the prophets and the apostles. Uh, in some churches, uh, it's my own personal belief, pastors are chosen from the ranks of teaching elders. It's so radically important. I think Calvin uh, followed that model. Again, to secure succession of the church. Uh, we have on our uh, uh, northern wall in the Fellowship Hall a, a, a glimpse of the Reformation wall in Geneva to remind our young people, to remind all of our people of our connection to the Protestant Reformation. If you were to ask most Christians uh, what the Reformation was, I don't think they'd have a clue but we're connected uh, to the men on that wall. Heroes of the faith. We're not going to tear them down. We're not like our contemporary culture, uh, tearing down men of prominence like Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson. Why? Because we're connected as Americans to them. But you and I are connected as Christians to Calvin, to Knox, to Augustine in our theology. Uh, but the greater, greater key is why does Paul call the elders? Uh, it's because increasing threats of the end time tribulation, uh, especially from false teachers, are beginning to accelerate. We'll, we'll see that when we look at part two. Again, the American church, we don't think in that terms. For most Oklahoma Christians, the tribulation is way in the future, uh, certainly in the future. Uh, you know, my belief the church has been invaded, threats from within and without. An insidious threat is, of course, false teachers. Uh, but if you're not interested in doctrinal succession, why would you care what your teacher teaches? Particularly if he misuses vocabulary to deceive. That's an art form. Many, many pastors. We don't think in these terms, but at Grace Bible Church, we do and we must. Uh, because teaching is essential to doctrinal succession. Uh, and uh, men, uh, elders, are an essential to doctrinal succession and the continuity of a life that will carry it uh, into eternity. Let's, uh, let's begin with... Uh, the quality of uh, the Apostle Paul as a benchmark, as a benchmark as to the type of men who are going to secure the doctrinal succession of the church, generational continuity that will see the church into eternity. Uh, well, it's secured by the right men, and Paul is one of those men. Uh, verses uh, 18 to 27. Uh, and, and there's a hint of this in the text. It's, it's really quite instructive as well as humbling, uh, because Paul uses a number of words uh, over and over again that stress the type of men. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. 
Uh, if you don't know your theology, you don't have a clue as to what that means. The whole is what I'm referencing, the whole purpose of God. The eternal purposes of God. Uh, if you look at verse verse 19, um, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials. Well, it's a tough one. Confess to you, I don't have all humility. That's why Paul's a benchmark. And the greater benchmark, of course, is our great Savior. Humbles us to be that, that type of man, woman. Uh, and these, these words uh, begin, begin and end this text. It's how important I think there are. The type of man that's going to secure generational continuity. But there's also words like everywhere, verse 23. Uh, that everywhere bonds, uh, in every city, or everywhere bonds and afflictions await me. Uh, again, generally when we encounter difficulties <laughs> any place, we just simply retreat and quit. Paul can't do that. One reason is verse 24. Uh, the word finished. In order that I may finish my course. Now that's the kind of person you want to saddle up to. A finisher. Who in terms of the life of the church and securing elders is going to finish that course. That's how the church is secured, by the way. I'm all for Bible studies. I'm all for choirs. I'm all for great music. But finishers are elders to secure the continuity, generational continuity of the life of the church. And these words punctuate this text. They ought to punctuate our lives. Uh, because Paul was all in. He didn't hold anything back. It's always been a reminder to me, I, I went to seminary with a number of men. Uh, I can count on my, one of my hands a number of no longer in really church ministry. Why? Because it's just difficult. Paul didn't hold back. Uh, he gave it his all, and it's part of his resume to secure the future. Finishers. Doctrinal succession. Even when the winds and the tides are saying, hey, just focus on your teenagers. Just focus on them, and you'll, you know, you keep the children, you'll keep the adults, or you keep the young people, you'll keep the adults. Uh, simply the way we think. Uh, I have a number of distant acquaintances uh, hold to Reformed theology, sent their children to Catholic school. I just always wonder about that. Really? Uh, one of them passed away recently and his, his son is a member of, guess what? <laughs> the Catholic Church. Or Mary's Catholics. Again, I don't have any bone to pick with Catholics other than their theology is 180 degrees out from the Protestant Reformation. In fact, if you read the Council of Trent, they curse us. Great invective. They curse us. And the Roman Catholic Church has never renounced the Council of Trent. Because they've got their own doctrinal succession. We're otherwise. But that's just the way people think today. Well, any old port in the storm. I mean, who's, you know, why are you so concerned about our socks? Well, because of uh, the continuity of church life and doctrine uh, to Christ and his apostles and the prophets. But more particularly in terms of danger, Paul uh, faced rumors from his uh, enemies that spread uh, the lies that he was only in it for the money. Uh, that his 
teachings were heavily diluted. And how can you read Romans chapter, the entire book of Romans and say Paul's teachings were heavily diluted? But, uh, but, but Paul is all in. All in. Uh, one of the unofficial uh, mottos of the Navy SEALs is stay in the fight. Uh, and one of the points of this text in terms of the life of the Apostle Paul is that who we are determines what we do. So uh, we're going to repair here to actions and, and content. The actions of the Apostles and then the content of his teaching. So Paul was serving the Lord in the context of persecution or plots of the Jews. Uh, uh, ministry is a calling under duress. I don't know if you've ever seen the statistics of dropouts of pastors. It's pretty high because the duress is high. Um, but that's what our calling is, under duress. You stay the course. You stay in the fight. You finish the race. Sunshine uh, patriots who abound only when times are pleasant really shouldn't apply. Uh, easy jobs are insufficient for an evil day. And I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we are in the evil day. Serving is a people thing. That's one of the reasons it can be somewhat stressful. But the persecution caused Paul's service to be in, in all humility, verse 19. Uh, literally, humility is of low mind. Um, very significant to have a low mind. If you understand the infinity of God, you ought to be of lowly mind. If you understand the eternality of Jesus Christ and what He did to come and to save His people, uh, you ought to be of all people most humble because He was under no obligation whatsoever to save you or to save me in light of what we were and in many respects continue to be as sinners. Paul was crushed of spirit, resulting in tears from personal rejection and uh, personal agony from testing. Uh, men that are tested in battle over the long haul are essential to securing generational continuity in the life of the church that can take it into eternity. Uh, those are the men who stay in the fight, who pass the baton to successive generations. And uh, like Paul, we must uh, persevere. Even, even when it gets difficult. Uh, the persecution is picked up again in verses 22 to 24. Um, Paul says he is, uh, he is bound in spirit. Uh, on my way to Jerusalem, uh, not knowing what will happen to me there. It's a figure of speech representing his commitment to go into danger because Jerusalem is going to represent danger. Uh, another essential element of the type of man that will secure the future life of the church, and that is, is the courage of his convictions to go the distance. It takes courage, particularly in church life. The Holy Spirit has told him bonds and afflictions await him there. And more critically, he can't shrink back. He can't, he can't say, well, Lord, you called me. Here's my resignation letter. I think I'm going to retire to, um, Antiochian University and become a teacher. He's thrust in the throes of battle. He's going to stay in the fight. Perseverance is a key element to secure the future for the life of the church. He discounts his, uh, his personal safety. I don't, uh, verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. For what purpose does he discount his personal safety? He may finish the course in the ministry they received from Jesus. Finishers. Finishers in terms of church 
ministry. Paul wasn't going to go to the University of Ephesus and become a dean of student affairs. Not that they don't play a role wherever. Uh, but his radar is elders in the life of the church. Finish the course. The first word is an athletic metaphor, race. Um, the Christian life is, uh, it is a marathon. Um, I, I'm not a big track and field person, but uh, I love to watch the men and women, certainly that are uh, qualified for Olympic competitions, run the 150-yard dashes. But you know, would that it were that easy. Um, Christian life is a marathon. Just mile after mile. Continuing the race. Refusing to give up. Going the distance. Uh, this, uh, this metaphor is picked up, as you know, by the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy. Again, Timothy is a legatee of the Apostle Paul. He's going to pass the baton. Timothy and Titus. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Time of my departure has come. Second Timothy is Paul's final epistle. Roman imprisonment. But I fought the good fight. Finished the course. Kept the faith. Be a finisher. Persevere in doctrine in Christian life. Another reminder that our Savior, of course, elects us from eternity past, but He grants us His Spirit that we would be finishers, go the distance, stay in the fight, because such people are essential to the continuity of church. Now, I, I would remind you that beginning well does not secure the future. Finishing does. That's why I'm committed, some of you know, to the theology of the Protestant Reformation. I can connect myself to Turretin, to the Apostle Paul, to Geneva. We should all be able to. It's also true for families. For those of you who are parents with children at home, whether young or old, I know, because I used to have this disease, that one of the abiding passions of your heart is to secure your children in the faith. The genuine faith. The faith that begins well, runs well, and ends well in an evil day. Well, Paul has given us a, a brief glimpse of the type of man or woman that can secure that. Let's look at his content. And again, I, I would remind you with incredible sadness, we simply as Americans do not think in terms of content. Oh, there are certain buzzwords like faith in Jesus and uh, the Trinity. I, I understand that. Those are radically important. Resurrection, yes, indeed. Uh, but our faith is uh, much, much more consuming than that. So much so uh, that it is much more than a belief system. It's a system that owns you. So uh, in, in verse 20, in the heat of the battle, Paul did not pull back from teaching uh, what was uh, profitable. Uh, teaching uh, what, was, what was profitable. Uh, 
solemnly testifying, he says, of repentance and faith. Again, um, it's going to secure continued life in the church. I remind you of 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture has been inspired by God is profitable uh, for doctrine, for teaching, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, uh, might be fitted out to be a finisher. The scriptures, content of our faith. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Particular object of what Paul was teaching was repentance and faith. Uh, both must be present as a part of genuine ministry. Repentance. We lifelong we turn uh, from self to Jesus. Uh, we do it momentarily. I understand as part of our salvation. That's a lifelong calling. Turning from self to Jesus. This also included the content, verse 24, uh, again, Acts, Acts chapter 20, uh, the gospel of the grace of God. Um, of course, every Christian believes in the grace of God, but if you understand the Apostle Paul, it's the sovereign grace of God. Let's, let's turn to understanding very quickly theologically to Ephesians chapter 1 uh, in verse 5. The sovereign grace of God that He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. And when did He do that? Eternity passed. That's the discriminator between men and women who Secure the future and men and women who play uh, to the times. And again, I would remind you, grace is much more than unmerited favor. It's that God saves us by His power. And for all that He saves, it's all of Him for all the time. And He saves men and women that will persevere. I didn't say perfect, uh, but men and women who persevere in faith. All are invited, but only the elect come and persevere. Uh, Paul's uh, content, by the way, also included uh, verse 25. I went about preaching the kingdom. The kingdom of God present. Our Savior is King. He rules from heaven. And He's spiritually engaging and advancing His kingdom in the life of the church. And one day... Uh, it won't be spiritual. It'll be physical and absolute. May God hasten that day. You understand the evil of our times. May God hasten that day. Lastly, very interesting, at verse 26, he declares his innocence of the blood of all men. This is an allusion to... Uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, uh, as well as Ezekiel chapter 33. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17 are really startling words. Um, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman over the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. If you do not warn or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked ways that he may live, that wicked man will die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require of you. The Son of Man was to warn people uh, of the dangers of their life and their content. Uh, and God's going to require something of uh, the Son of Man. If you don't warn them properly, I'm going to require their destruction. Measure it from you. Verse 19, Ezekiel chapter 3. 
Yet if you have warned the wicked, he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. That conceptual fulfillment is now in the life of the Apostle Paul because Paul warned. Part two of his life and content, he's going to warn the elders at Ephesus of grave danger. We, again, forgive me for overusing this concept, we, 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 we don't think in those words at all. We don't warn anyone. More often than not, we're about entertaining people. Paul warning of the dangers uh, that were present. Uh, Ezekiel 33.6, But the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people. Uh, then God's going to require uh, of the watchman. When I was in the army, I used to occasionally, uh, uh, much to my dread, but you'd come up on a duty roster to be officer of the guard. Oh, I hated guard duty. Oh, particularly uh, winters in Maryland. Uh, going out to the different guard posts to make sure the guards weren't asleep or... Uh, The watchman on duty all the time. That's the type of man or woman that secures continuity in the life of the church. And Paul was faithful to warn. He took his duty to warn seriously. Guard your content. Guard your life. For out of it are the issues of life itself. So, out of this, Paul declared the whole purpose or counsel of God. So reference to the decrees of God. God's eternal purposes means the great doctrines of predestination, reprobation, decrees of God, eternal judgment. Uh, turning back to book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 uh, and verse 11. Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will. Eternal purposes of God. We ought to understand those purposes. What they mean to church life and the content of our theology. Uh, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, in verse 28, reference to the death of our Savior. Uh, to do, speaking of the evil people who crucified Him, uh, listen to the word. So do whatever thy hand and thy purposes predestined to occur. Uh, I suspect the word predestination is uh, effaced in the lexicon of most Christians. But today, uh, we're about meeting needs and aspirations, uh, entertaining our young people, pop psychology, stroking self-concept. Um, that won't secure the future. Again, it has a place. I'm not doubting that. Um, needs to be encouragement. Uh, I understand connection. Uh, but the life of Paul, the theology of Paul, that's what secures the future. Generational continuity. Uh, preacher's job is not to preach people what what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. To warn them, to encourage them. Teach, instruct. Uh, it's a man whose commitment, character, and content are meant to secure the continuity of the life of the church. Uh, but I will tell you, even that's not enough. True continuity is uh, only an eternal provision of God's sovereign grace. Only He can truly secure the church. And He does. He does. In the God-man, Jesus Christ. Uh, only what Christ has done can secure the future. My friend, if you're not a Christian, your future uh, is in serious doubt. I don't, I don't mean that to cause you distress, but simply the preaching of the Word of God should cause you distress, but 
Um, we, sh- we should think in terms of eternity. Uh, and only Christ can secure that. Uh, only what he, he has done, only what He is to the church can secure our future. As prophet, priest, and king. Uh, Ezekiel 34. The false teachers of, uh, of Israel in the days of our Savior and through successive generations, even to the American church, even, even to many churches in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. You know why? Because false teachers are fleecing the flock, caring only for themselves, in it for the gain, the popularity, the numbers. I mean, who knows? Uh, So God comes to seek out His sheep. By the way, if you belong to the flock of which Jesus Christ is the shepherd, I will tell you how that happened. He sought you out. Had He not sought you out, you would have never come. Never come to Him. Ezekiel 34.12 As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he's among the scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. And I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. Ezekiel 34.15 I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest declares the Lord. If you don't know Christ as your shepherd, may God help you to understand your own personal danger. But Christ is the fulfillment of all this. Uh, John 10 is a documentary evidence that He's that fulfillment. Uh, You want to turn to uh, John chapter 10 very quickly as we prepare to take of the Lord's table, as we prepare to praise our Savior for saving us. Christ in John chapter 10, as you know, is called the Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd. Even elders are mere reflections of that as under-shepherds. They serve under the Good Shepherd. John chapter 10 and verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christ had the courage of his conviction. He went the distance. He finished the course. He never let up, even in the midst of incredible danger. He went the distance to purchase his flock. Uh, And he remains with his sheep in the presence of wolves. Uh, Incredible, the danger. Uh, Verse, uh, John chapter 10, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. We know the Savior. We know Him. That's one of the reasons that we go the distance is because we know Him. And we also know that He first knew us from eternity past. Uh, Verse 16, we hear His voice. Uh, They shall hear my voice and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. Uh, And the sheep uh, follow They're connected. They're in continuity uh, with the shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, verse 27. I know them and they follow me. We're followers of Christ. Uh, Verse 28. I give eternal life to them. They shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Never perish. That's the majesty when you know Christ is your shepherd. I trust you do. I trust you know Christ is your shepherd. Because all other shepherds may fail you. The best of men. Christ is the God-man. So God provides the right men. uh, But only with the God-man is it enough. As you know, it is uh, our custom on the first uh, Sunday of, of the month to partake of the sacrament of the Lord's table where we commune. We have fellowship with our Savior. He invites us into His house. Uh, He sets before us food and drink. Uh, And He reminds us in eating and drinking, it's a metaphor for faith 
and eating and drinking Him for eternal life. A marvelous picture of the majesty of uh, the provision of, of our Savior. Uh, very quickly, I'm going to read a couple of verses uh, from the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, God, verse 53. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. He eats my flesh and drinks my blood as eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What a compelling reason to eat and to drink. In other words, to have faith in Jesus. To believe in what he has done for us. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He eats my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. Sacrament of the Lord's table. The cryptic words of John chapter 6. Uh, Grace Bible Church, um, uh, the Lord's table is uh, the Lord's table. Therefore, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're not engaging from engaging from some sin from which you refuse to repent, uh, all are welcome because it's His table, not the table of Grace Bible Church. Uh, uh, because of this pandemic, as in the past, uh, the elements are to my left and my right. Uh, if, if you so wish, you can, you can come to the front. Uh, but uh, more importantly, in light of the type of uh, God-man we have in Jesus Christ as the Good Shepherd, uh, let's, let's remember Him. Let's count it the highest and greatest privilege and joy of all of life to belong to His flock. And let's come this morning as His Spirit comes to us, partake from His hand, eat and drink, to renew that connection of eternal life. So let's, let's prepare our hearts for the elements. And I'm going to partake that in the uh, service of uh, of uh, the drink uh, in the center there is wine, periphery there's grape juice that each may partake in freedom of their own conscience and tradition. Uh, but more importantly, we come in faith. Uh, we come profoundly grateful that our Savior gave His life, the one for the many, uh, that we might uh, continue to serve Him uh, throughout our lives. Uh, I'm going to pray and after I pray, um, depending on which side you're sitting on, come to the uh, to the south to go to the north, or again you can come uh, to the front. So let's pray. Uh, our Father, how profoundly grateful that uh, we are totally undeserving, uh, fully liable of the wrath of God. No hope whatsoever of salvation, that in thy sovereign grace it pleased thee to give us new hearts, that we might believe and come and proclaim that we are the saviors. Uh, we are his, uh, and we, we proclaim him. We pray, Lord, as we partake, that thou wouldst refresh our faith. Uh, many of us come with uh, great struggles of life, uh, anxious over the present, uh, anxious perhaps about our children. Uh, we know not, of course, what the future holds, uh, but we know that our God holds the future and our shepherd will guide and lead us into eternal pastures. And as we are hungry and thirsty from the vagaries of life, uh, may we eat and drink. May we be full satisfied. Uh, may we go away and depart in the joy of the faith and the pleasures of being the eternal sons of the eternal everlasting God. And we pray these sayings in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Please rise take. Let's pray.
Uh, Father, for thy daily provisions, for daily life, uh, for living, for following, for keeping, for persevering, for preserving, for rejoicing, because of him who gave his life, the one for the many. Uh, May we abide in him as he abides so in us. Thank thee, Lord, for the elements, for the reminder, for the intense fellowship with our Savior, his great spirit, who has come to bless us with the meal before us. In his name we pray. Amen. A couple of announcements in your uh, bulletin. Uh, I'm going to begin a new member class for those of you uh, might be interested. I know a couple of you have asked me about it. Uh, thinking tentatively of the last uh, weekend of February, uh, and uh, we will meet in the other Sunday school class that's in the fellowship hall for a couple of weeks, um, and then move move back in here. Um, we will meet for prayer next Saturday at 8 a.m., very important ministry. Uh, one of the means that we use to... Uh, Ensure the perseverance of the life of the church as we pray uh, for God's people. Uh, We are planning a church social after the worship service on the 21st. Johnny's, I do remind you they require masks in their uh, public areas, but uh, I certainly hope we can, uh, uh, we can, uh, we can do that. Um, Deeply regretted we've had to cancel most of our fellowship times for, I don't know. 9, 10, 11 months, but, uh, but we'll, we'll get through it, but invite you and remind you of that. Does anyone have something they'd like to bring to the, yes, Shania? Anything else? We'll stand for concluding, uh, benediction, word of prayer. Our Father, we thank thee for Jesus Christ, who makes our future secure. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor now and forever. Amen.